Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. It's Hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thank you so much for sharing this time together today. I want to lead off this morning with um, you know, the testimony and witness of, um, of a man who lives in the Northeast. And um, he's, uh, he has lived here for a very, very long time. He was born in India. Um, and religiously, um, he is a Sikh. And maybe you're not familiar with the the Sikh religion, but um, they're not Muslim. And so I think that when you think about people of particular cultural and religious expressions, this is an opportunity for us to talk about diversity. It's an opportunity for us to talk about the things that we know and that we don't know. It's also an opportunity for us to talk about what it means to actually put feet to our faith. If you were to um, here, over here, be in the presence of somebody um, making openly bigoted comments to another person, openly racist comments to another person, openly religiously hostile comments to another person, what would you do? What would you do? That That is the um, putting feet to our faith question this morning. And so, um, this gentleman uh, has written this, you know, this is basically a testimonial piece. Um, it's posted at Religion News, um, and it's entitled, The Silence of the Witnesses Hurt More Than the Shouted Bigotry. So um, he was in need of renewing his license. You know, this happens from time to time. You can only do it, like, you know, online or through the mail so many times, and then you got to go back to the DMV and renew your driver's license. And so this is the context of, um, of this encounter. He's waiting in a crowded room of about 25 people, and a middle-aged man with a graying beard is sitting a couple of chairs away. Um, And so before this gentleman sits down, and keep in mind that because he's a Sikh, he he wears a turban on his head. It's part of their religious custom and practice, much like a Jewish person might well wear what you think of as a skull cap, okay? So... um, or like an Amish or a Mennonite woman might wear, um, you know, what looks to you like a doily, right? I mean, on and on and on, there are people who um, have particular items that they use um, that are a part of their religious expression. And so that's what's going on here. And so this person aggressively, this is, that's the language used here, aggressively asked, are you from India? Um and he was startled, and he replied that he was, but he'd been living in the United States for decades. I mean, this this gentleman is an American. Um, I mean, how many times, you know, does somebody look at you and say, are you from England? Are you from Norway? Are you from Sweden? You know, because generationally, you know, hundreds of years ago, that's where your people were from? No. So why do we ask that question? Why do we 
why do we make those assumptions? This is, this is the provocative question I'm encouraging us to consider today. So um, this man then went on, either knowing very, very little about India or knowing, um, thinking he knew something because the man was wearing a head covering, wearing a turban. He then followed up in what is described as a more aggressive tone and said, are you Muslim? And um, after a moment of consideration, he said, I don't think that's any of your business. And that's when this man said, um, well, I'm a Christian and all Muslims hate Christians. Now, first of all, um, if you are a Christian, you don't speak for all, all Christians, right? You just don't. Uh, let me say, I'm an evangelical Christian, and I certainly don't um, pretend to speak for all evangelical Christians, nor do I think every other evangelical Christian speaks for me. Um, it, the, the, it went on from there, um, and it got more aggressive. And finally, thankfully, you know, this gentleman who's a Sikh American, um, his number was called, and he was able to you know, move away from this individual. But upon reflection, what he shares is his sadness at the silence and complicity of the 24 other people in the room. And he reminds us that, you know, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good people do nothing. And he says, so please don't be part of the silent majority of Christians in this country who do nothing, who do nothing when people from marginalized communities are publicly attacked. So here's my encouragement today. Don't do nothing. If you see or hear something, say and do something. What, how would this event have been different if someone had physically gotten up from their chair and moved to physically put themselves, I mean, like physically in a chair that's between these two individuals? If nothing else, like blocking the view and the venom being spewed by the one toward the other. What would it look like to physically stand, physically move, and align your eyes and your body as a shield? Like, what would that look like? What would it look like to pray without ceasing in that moment and to use words when necessary? What would it look like to lead? Not be complicit or silent, but actually stand up for the religious liberty of another individual who doesn't share your faith. What would that look like? And how would the world be changed by it? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. Hey, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks so much for sharing this time um, with me. So um, the Queen of Norway was in Minnesota this week. First of all, did you know Norway had a queen? And if so, did you know she was here? Uh, according to the governor of Minnesota, who welcomed her and noted the importance of the relationship um, between Minnesota and Norway, um, uh, he said this, uh, there are at least 900,000 Minnesotans who show their ancestry back to Norway. The importance of those cultural ties cannot be uh, understated in Minnesota. I mean, you know, frankly, for a person who's not from Minnesota, even, you know, even the fact that you wear the sweaters that you wear, like, right, bears, <clears throat> bears witness to this, uh, testifies to this, right? So the people of Minnesota take great pride in this relationship, says the governor, we take great pride in the accomplishments from the arts to the sciences and to economics that Norwegian Minnesotans have added. 
There's a troop exchange program between Minnesota and Norway. It's the longest running military partnership uh, between um, between the United States and Norway. As part of the exchange program, 100 members of the Minnesota, Minnesota National Guard travel to Norway every year to train. And 100 Norwegian Home Guard members come to Minnesota to train at uh, at Camp Ripley. Did you know that? I mean, did you even know any of these things? Maybe you did. I didn't. So after the visit with the governor, the queen toured St. Olaf College um, and um, and participated in a ribbon-cutting ceremony at a new special collections vault um, that's related to the Norwegian heritage of, of the region. Um, and she finished her trip by attending Sunday services at... Now... Pr- Go ahead and just forgive me in advance if I mispronounce this. Mindekirken, Mindekirken. It's a century-old Lutheran church in Minneapolis, and it's known for being one of the two churches in the entire in the entire United States of America which offer services in Norwegian. Um, the videos um, from her visit are, are are really great, and the Queen's message. Uh, about why Norwegians came to the United States of America um, to, quote, seek a better life, um, I think are uh, are important for us to note. Now, we could talk about Norwegian immigration to America um, roughly, you know, in three waves from like 1925 to 1910 or 1825 to 1910. Sorry. So there's a you know span of time in there when there's these three major waves of immigration from Norway. The peak year was 1882. Um, a quarter of the people who came to the United States from Norway um, eventually returned back to Norway. But there's an opportunity here for uh, a conversation about why people immigrate, why people immigrated then and why people immigrate now. Um, you know, and the openness to the United of the United States of America to those who are literally just seeking a better life, Right. Um, why was it okay then and, and it's not okay now? Like, that's a worthy conversation for us to have and to consider. There's also an interesting conversation to be had here about the relationship um, of church and state and monarchy. Like, right? Interesting to note that the Norwegian monarch, in this case, the husband of the queen who came to visit, Queen Sonia came to visit. She's the wife of King Harold Fairhair, which is just such a great name. Um, and, uh, uh, and, the Norwegian monarch is the not only the head of state, and but the head of the church, right? And so that's an interesting conversation to have as well. Um, and the conversation about monarchy in general is an interesting one to have for those of us who live in a country that has no king, right? So um, I just feel like lifting up this story as a conversation um, today is a good one. Because in this story, what is celebrated is the preservation of language, the preservation of culture over time. The fact that there is still a Norwegian speaking congregation that's been, you know, having a service in in a language other than English for more than 100 years. Why is that okay? And yet we're so sensitive today to anybody preserving their language um, from home or we're so um, we're so resistant to them wearing uh, clothing that would be consistent with the country of their origin. You know, I mean, if you're going to live in America, live like an American. Well, what would that look like for me to say that to a bunch of people of Norwegian heritage when they're wearing those patterned sweaters that basically testify to the part of Norway from which they hail? Or what would it look like to to say such a thing, you know, during the the kirking of the tartans service if you happen to be, I don't know, Presbyterian, right? So there are 
there are ways in which, because of an, uh, a European heritage, that we think it's great that language is preserved or these cultural um, values are preserved or even, you know, articles of clothing. Like, we, we celebrate that. But then when it is a people group from another part of the world and what they're trying to preserve is their language and their uh, and, you know, and the physical things that they wear that represent their culture uh, or their cultural heritage, we're somehow resistant to that. So this is a this is an invitation this morning to des- to test how you feel. I want you to test how you feel about the story of the Queen of Norway visiting a church in Minnesota where people dress and speak Norwegian and how you feel about new immigrants arriving today, seeking a better life, who also want their children's children to remember the language and the customs and the places and the people from whence they have come. It's a feelings conversation, and I think a good one for us to have um, before the Lord this day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Wow. Um, I would say that our topics are hitting home uh, this morning, so thank you so much for each and every one of you that are uh, texting in at 877-933-2484. Tons of great comments about the conversation about fasting and feasting that we had with Aaron Davis. So thank you um, for those of you for whom that really hit home. Um, wow, lots of, um, I mean, that's not a surprise to me, right, that there's, there's lots of people of Norwegian heritage listening right now. Um, lots of uh, excitement about, you know, even just the mention of St. Olaf. And then um, this note from Sue, I, I feel like we need to know more about this. Uh, Sue says, um, uh, um, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad, quote, saved King Olaf from a fall off a podium at St. Olaf as he rocked backwards on the stage. My dad snuck up behind the podium and lever- uh, leveraged or maybe just, yeah, right, the rocker. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Don't you feel like we need to know more of that story? I mean, literally, her dad saved the king. I, I, feel, I feel like we need to know more of that story, Sue. So, um, you know, text more. Um, inquiring minds want to know. And then um, John texting in about um, my reflections on uh, the the story that's posted at Religion News about this Sikh gentleman um, who was very, very gracious toward the individual at the DMV who was aggressive toward him because of maybe the color of his skin, but most certainly uh, because of the turban he was wearing on his head. John says... In my over 32 years of living in the United States, um, I have been asked those questions and in a similar tone. My suggestion to other listeners is to is to think of of other immigrants or folks of other ethnicities as brothers and sisters that God opened doors to share um, this country. Um, John, amen, amen, and amen. We are so thankful that you're here, our brother, 
Um, and we're so thankful um, for you helping us to see ourselves, um, even as um, sometimes we fail to uh, see one another fully as brothers and sisters in Christ. I have more in common with John, my brother in Christ, whose skin may be um, a slightly different tone than mine um, and whose um, heritage may be different than mine. But th- we have the same future. We are headed to the same home. Um, and we have the same Lord and Savior, and his name is Jesus. And so John is my brother in ways that a person who looks a whole lot like me and maybe even uh, shares my cultural heritage, but who loves Jesus not, like I have nothing in common, literally, like ultimately nothing in eternal common with a person who rejects Jesus. And I have everything in common with my brother John. So could we begin thinking um, about, uh, about each other um, in that way. Um, all right. So, and then somebody else says, well, I love all the content today, but it is a little overwhelming <laughs> to keep up with the conversation, which is why we record them and make them available to you later <laughs> at myfaithradio.com. I could try to slow down in talking, but then I would miss the opportunity to, to you know, right, tell you about the next thing that I've teed up for our conversation today. So just a couple of minutes um, here left in this half, half hour, and then we're going to talk with Alyssa uh, Childers about truth and what it means to live by like the truth, big capital T versus what culture would tell us, which is like live your truth. Okay. So um, the next story here that I have in front of me is about a Jewish rabbi who returned home for a college reunion. And let's just say he is from a community in a part of the country where not a lot of his classmates were Jewish growing up and, and, you know, and none had become Jewish since. Okay. So, um, he's at this college reunion, um, and he's having, you know, uh, they're having a lovely time. And then it, it, it comes time for the meal. And I guess the president of the class says, Hey, well, you know, let's have so-and-so pray. Cause you know, after all, he's a rabbi. And so he reflects here on, um, like who you are when you leave home in high school and who you are when you return 10, 15, in 2025, in this case, like 50 years later. What what has changed? Who has changed? And is home still home? What does it look like to be a person of faith returning home? And when I say the word home, where does your heart go? When I say the word home, where does your heart go? So having reflected on that, what would it look like to, quote, go home as the person of faith you are today, as a living demonstration of the gospel, as an ambassador of the king and the kingdom, what would it look like for you to return home wherever it is that your heart goes when I say that word? And then looking forward, casting, you know, casting our light in the opposite direction. Do you yearn for the home that you have not built by human hands? Are you yearning to go home? The older I get and the more people who I know and love who now populate heaven and no longer populate earth, the greater my longing to go home. Are you longing for heaven? And over the course of time, does your longing grow and deepen? Or are you living in a resistant fear of moving from this place and this reality to live at home with God forevermore. Like we're supposed to invest ourselves in this world as ambassadors 
of the king and the kingdom. We are supposed to love and invest in um, the places and spaces here on earth and seek and seek to influence every square inch for the gospel, advancing the gospel always and in all ways in the time that we have. But ultimately, this is not our home. Do you long for home? And if you don't, would you be willing to spend a little time today with the Lord, asking him to increase your affection to be at home with him, like increase the craving to be at home with him? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's take a moment with John Stone Street to hear Breakpoint. All right. I think that there are um, lots of deceptions in the world today, and those deceptions make us anxious. They make us question. They exhaust us. They tend to make us pretty self-obsessed. And so how do we sort out the deceptions of the age in which we live? Like, how, how do we do that? When you hear a headline, when you see something on social media, when someone says something to you, How do you evaluate or filter whether or not that is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Or frankly, if it's just a flat out lie. I mean, in the culture today, we're told to live your truth. But actually, that's a lie. Alyssa Childers joins us next. The book is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. You remember Alyssa Childers um, because we have talked on a prior occasion about um, Another Gospel. If you have not read Another Gospel, I highly recommend it to you. The book she's here to discuss today is her most recent one, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. Alyssa, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Thanks so much for having me back. Always great to talk to you. Well, likewise. So we live in a culture of lies, a culture of deception. Um, but sorting all of that out and figuring out, you know, what is the truth? What's the whole truth? Um, where are the lies? That's really what you're trying to get us to do here is, is find our filter and then find our feet. So talk with us about, um, why you wrote Live Your Truth and Other Lies, um, and, and what you hope it accomplishes. Well, I hope, first of all, the reason I decided to write this book right now is because I had been giving a talk at conferences for the past couple of years that was my most requested talk. And the talk was sort of built upon a blog post I had written two or three years ago that went viral. And it was a review of a popular self-helpish book that was published and kind of marketed to Christians. And yet the book itself was giving a completely different 
perspective on what the gospel was, who Jesus was. And so uh, I wanted to expand that out into a book and just take a look at different slogans we see in our culture, things like live your truth, you should put yourself first, you're in control of your own destiny, you're perfect just as you are, God just wants you to be happy. These are slogans that sound good. They sound like something you'd want to say to somebody who's having a hard day. But actually, when we dig underneath the surface of, of these slogans and these kind of cultural mantras, we find that they don't just fail logically. They're actually anti-biblical. So in the book, we dig underneath the lie. We look at how it fails just on a common sense level. And then we go to the Bible and we see how the Bible doesn't just have a, a more truthful story to tell, but a more life-giving, a more freeing and more stabilizing story to tell us. Okay, we are going to talk about narrative and story because that word, I think, is really an important one um, because that which gets repeated over and over and over again, we tend to start believing is true. So I want to talk about that. But I also want to um, share with folks now that you have whetted their appetite and they're like, oh, I totally need that. We are giving away copies of um, Live Your Truth and Other Lies today. So you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, let's dig into this. You use the term like con uh, cultural mantra. Um, what are these lies or what are some of these lies? I mean, you've mentioned one like live your truth, but what are some of the other ones um, so that, you know, our, eye, our ears can be tuned into the conversation as you and I unpack this? I would say that virtually all of the lies we talk about in the book are built on one big lie. Well, really two big lies. One of them is live your truth. And that's the idea that truth is somehow fluid. It's changeable. It's relative to each person. It's not really something that's fixed in objective reality. And so if that's true, then you can kind of build your own view of what you think the world looks like and someone else can live their truth and you can live your truth. But the other big lie, I think so many of these other lies are built upon is this cultural idea that humans are actually inherently good. If you think about all of the messaging that's aimed at us coming from uh, streaming platforms and the books that we read and just going, th I, I just walk through the airport and I look at the books that are on the shelves and virtually all of the messaging is telling everyone, hey, you're inherently good. You just need to dig down inside of your own heart, identify what your deepest desires are, name those things, proclaim them to the world, and then live them out. And then everybody else needs to, to affirm whatever that is that you find inside of yourself. But the problem, the problem with that is that the Bible tells us that humans are actually inherently sinful. So when we dig inside of our own hearts and we identify our deepest desires, sometimes those desires are going to be in conflict with what is actually right uh, you know, cor like correct morally. And so biblically speaking, that would be a desire that we need to bring under submission to the word of God. We need to repent. That's something that needs to be changed. It needs to be transformed. We need to be constantly every day as Christians renewed in our minds by, by being in the word of God, because what we find inside of our hearts is not always something that is good or well-intended or, or something like what the world is telling us about our hearts. And so I think, you know, if you think about just the those two different views, you think humans are inherently sinful or do you think they're inherently good? That's going to send you on two radically different paths about how you're going to live your life. So how would you respond to a person who, upon hearing that, is going to say, um, but there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so it's about, you know, it's a it's about a process of self-discovery. And once I, you know, arrive at the at my truest self, then um you know, I'm going to ultimately be free. 
I mean, isn't this really about loving myself? Do, Do you see how, like, quickly this gets challenging for the average Christian? Yeah, you you know, you could write a great self-help book right now because what you just articulated <laughs> is in so many books out there. So I think, you know, what I might say to somebody who who brings that idea forward is that goes back to objective truth. You know, where where do you get the idea that there's this divine spark inside of everyone? Because biblically as Christians, of course we know that every human being has been made in the image and likeness of God and because of that we do have inherent dignity and value and worth and God created us and and said, this is good, right? But then we have Genesis 3, and we learn that when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that introduced sin and death into the world. And from Romans, we learn that death spread to all men, death and sin spread to all men because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so therefore, there's there's not that the image of God is lost on us. It, it's not gone, but it becomes distorted by sin. And so that's, that's where salvation comes in. We need to be redeemed. We need to be reconciled. What we find inside of our hearts needs to be something that needs to be reconciled to a holy God. And then we begin this process of sanctification where we become more and more like Christ every single day. But this whole idea that, you know, because we all were created by God or some kind of a God, we all have this divine spark inside of us. And really all we need to do is love ourselves better or maybe just realize that we are inherently united with God or realize how loved we are, or how good we are. I mean, that's honestly the message of progressive Christianity. And that's that's uh, you know when I wrote my first book about, which is an entirely different gospel. That's not a gospel that can actually save you because it doesn't offer you salvation because ultimately it just tells you to realize that you're already saved, realize that you have, you know, if you're separated from God, it's just in your mind. It's something that's self-imposed. And so really the only thing you need to do is just realize how great and wonderful and, and loved you are. But I think anybody looking out into the world at humanity can see that something is desperately wrong with us. I mean, just take a cursory look at world history. And I think just the average person on the street can recognize that there's something wrong with humans. Even having children will tell you this, right? We all love our kids, but we also recognize that they naturally know how to steal, how to lie, how to cheat, how to put themselves first. It's actually, it takes teaching to teach them to not steal, to share their toys, uh, to be honest. We have to instill these things in children because that's actually not what comes natural to them. And so uh, I, I think that you know, we it just requires some biblical literacy, some critical thinking, and just some good teaching from the church as well. Good teaching from the church. Um, I want to talk for a moment about people who may be listening right now um, and who grew up in churches where the lies, that is what they have been taught. Like, they are honestly um, confused. They are, Mm. they are, they have honestly, I mean, they, they have arrived at this set of beliefs because they have been raised now um, for multiple generations in expressions of um, the Christian church that are progressive, that, that do proclaim the very lies that you're pointing out. Help me initiate a conversation with a person who has now been generationally raised, not only in a, in, you know, our progressive culture, but in progressive Christianity itself. Yeah, that's a great question because I've met people who grew up in church and never heard the gospel until they were adults. There are many churches out there that conflate the gospel with just simply being a good member of your community or being a good neighbor. And that's 
the focus and then the real gospel, the sin and redemption story is never preached. So I think for somebody who grew up in a church situation around Christians, they think they know the gospel, but maybe they've never heard it. I think a great gateway to to open up a door to a conversation is to talk about Jesus, because somebody who grew up in church is obviously going to be sympathetic to the the person of Jesus, right? Because they're, it's a Christian church. They might call themselves Jesus followers. And so a great question to ask somebody would be, you know, what do you think about what Jesus taught about the the scriptures? And that might be something they've never really thought about and never considered, because actually what, what we learn when we read the Gospels is that Jesus quotes from the Old Testament scriptures over and over again, and he refers to them as the word of God, the command of God. He talks about the Old Testament scriptures as if they have the highest authority. And even looking at the, the, the scene in Matthew 4 where Jesus is tempted by the devil and he appeals to the authority of scripture to fight temptation. And that might be a new concept for somebody who grew up in a church that's really more just kind of about social programs and things like that might get them kind of excited to learn more about what Jesus has to say, because Jesus has a lot to say about a lot of things. He has a lot to say about heaven and hell and uh, sexual immorality and salvation and all sorts of things. And often I find that with people who grew up in, in churches like that, they may have never even read the Bible for themselves. And that might be a, a way to spark somebody to become excited, to start reading reading about this person they're supposed to be following, Jesus, and really getting to know him outside of just the proof text they may have heard or the stories they may have heard, but really getting to know him from his word. And that might really open the door to sharing the gospel that they may or may not have ever heard before. That's so good. Um, that's so helpful. That's so right. And that's so true. Um, how about when we come back, let's talk about some disciplines and practices that you're, you know, you're going to recommend to the listening Christian for staying grounded in our cultural moment, because we are all living in this culture of lies that you describe where objective truth is rejected, um, you know, where people are encouraged to not only discover their own truth, but then to live their own truth. And we want to be people who live not by lies, but who live according to the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And that is Jesus. So um, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Alyssa Childers. The book is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. We are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter... Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Wake the Continuing our conversation with Alyssa Childers, the book is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. If you're not already um, connecting with Alyssa online, alyssachilders.com is where you want to go. Um, and you can connect from there with all of her social media 
Um, this is a this is a woman whose voice you want to be listening to on a regular basis. Um, she is in the Word, and the Word is in her, and it um, and the and the Lord is influencing how she's thinking, and she's helping us think um, more acutely about what's happening in the culture, um, you know, where God has placed us at this particular time in human history. So, if you want to be more fully equipped to live as a Christian in the midst of the culture today, Alyssa is one who you need to be engaged directly with. Alyssa, talk with us about um, some of the maybe practices or maybe you will call them disciplines that you would recommend for those of us who are Christians who want to stay grounded in the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. This is an important question because it can feel really overwhelming, especially reading a book that covers, you know, 10 or 11 cultural lies. And you begin to think, my goodness, these lies are everywhere. How could I ever possibly find my grounding? Right. And and what I love to encourage people with is that the best way to guard yourself against deception, even the really subtle deceptions, is to be really grounded in the real thing. Of course, we've all heard the old preacher story. A lot of pastors use this story that, uh, and I don't know if it's in true or not, but that the uh, you know they train FBI agents to spot counterfeit money by handling the real thing. They don't actually study the counterfeits. They handle the real thing. And again, if it's true or not, that's kind of not as important as the lesson we can learn from it. It's a great lesson that if we study the real thing, if we, if we are in the Word of God every day and we know the real thing, then we will more easily spot the lies. Just a practical example of this is that a good friend of mine uh, and I read a book together that was from a progressive Christian perspective, and it was largely about Jesus. And I remember reading this book with her, and we were kind of trying to discern through it together so that we could review it. And we were out walking one day, and she said, you know, it's I've been reading the Gospels while I'm reading this progressive book about Jesus. And she said, it's just so amazing and stunning how it's like reading two books about two completely different people. And the reason that she was so sharp to recognize the progressive Jesus wasn't the real Jesus is because she was really deeply embedded in the real Jesus from the Gospels. And so I think that's a really good illustration for us, because if we're in the Word constantly, then when these lies kind of trickle into our social media news feed, or we might see a book that looks attractive in the in the the even in the Christian bookstore, sadly, sometimes, and, and we begin to read it, and we go, something about this is not fitting with this other thing that I'm putting into my heart and mind every day, which is the Word of God. I think that that's, that's the best way. And, and honestly, Carmen, we all need that. People might look at someone like you or me who have platforms who are, you know, maybe known by some people and think, oh, well, they would in- instantly spot these things. Goodness, no. If I'm not in the Word every day, I can slip into this stuff super easy. Uh, it's just everywhere, all around us. It's the air we breathe. Uh, you know, practically. So we all have to be in the word to be constantly renewing our minds. Jesus prayed that sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And, and that's what renews our mind every day. And so um, I just think, you know, knowing the real thing is a, is a great and simple answer to that question. And then when we do that, then we can start investigating some of the lies, but we don't need to feel overwhelmed by all of these messages that are coming at us. Um, that's so helpful and so good. And I think that the next um, the next step is then maybe even the harder one, because when people that I love and know well turn from the truth, when they um, when they determine to live according you know, to their feelings or what they perceive to be, you know, the desires of their hearts and those are misaligned with what I know to be God's best 
then I have to make a decision as a disciple of Jesus, um, as a person who, you know, loves the Lord my God above all others. And I have to be willing to speak the truth to the person that I love and risk the relationship. Mm. that, That, I think, for Christians who I know who are parents and grandparents is is the hardest is the hardest thing like you know it's mm. the it's I feel like it's when Jesus says you know to the person who um you know wants to go back and bury bury their their father and you know Jesus is like you know you can't turn back like this is it like I'm it's me it, it's me like it's me and you uh, it's me and you and the others who believe in me um and not everybody is going to make that choice but I am not going to sacrifice my relationship with Jesus for my sacrifice or for my relationship with any other person. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But I know a lot of people who, who do that every single day. They sacrifice their relationship with God mm. for a relationship with another human being um, because they don't want to lose the human relationship and they will sacrifice the eternal relationship with God the Father restored through the Son by the power of the Spirit in order to not have a severed relationship with a child, a grandchild, a friend, a coworker, on and on and on. Yeah, what you just said is so important because I have watched entire friend groups go off a cliff together. And it doesn't, it's not like the whole group is tracking the whole time. There's usually people who are like, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with these new beliefs that are kind of being brought in, but they don't say anything. They don't want to risk, as you said, the relationship. And then over time, the people who were kind of moderate or even resisting a little bit, they give in little bit by little bit. And then before you know it, everybody's believing a lie. And it's such a sad phenomenon to watch. And I think a good scripture passage for us all to keep in mind on this is Matthew 10, 37, where Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And and this is so important when we talk about the concept of love. And that's one of the chapters in the book is how culture has really redefined love to mean something along the lines of affirming Whatever somebody else believes, thinks, says, you know, we're not supposed to challenge those things in our culture because it's considered unloving to disagree with somebody or to challenge something that someone believes. But we, we are Christians and our definition of love should come from what the Bible says. Love is one of the attributes of God. It begins with his nature and his character. Of course, Paul fleshes this out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. We all love that stuff. But it goes on to say that love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. And so biblically speaking, it is not loving to affirm something that is untrue about someone else or to affirm something sinful that somebody wants to engage in. It's actually not loving to affirm those things and to go along with it. And so I love that that word risk is really important. The Bible actually commands us to risk the relationship, to, to have conversations, difficult conversations that might end in that person distancing themselves from us or even cutting relationship off. And of course, there there's nuances in that conversation and there's going to be variables in the relationships and, and the, the wisdom that you might need to express depending on your relationship with the person and all of that, of course. But ultimately, we can't go along with it. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We can't prefer even our mothers and fathers and our children over him. So in a culture that now says that family is the one number one thing for which they would make a material sacrifice or even, you know, a personal sacrifice unto death, family is the number one thing in the culture now. Um, and and it, it trumps everything else. 
And so I think that, um, you know, for those of us who, who are Christians, this is the question of the moment. The truth absolutely matters, and you help us sort through, you know, that conversation. Um, and then I think that, you know, it's the application of that truth as we walk it out in, in the reality of our day-to-day life with the people we love best and most, because that's where the greatest risk, um, you know, I think lies. Alyssa, what a what a joy. Um, it's a challenging book. They always are. Um, again, if you have not read another gospel, um, that one I highly recommend um, as a, you know, as a lead up into Live Your Truth and Other Lies. Um, but we're giving away copies of Live Your Truth and Other Lies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.